what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. This is Doug Cunnington here, and in this episode, I'm going to answer a couple of listener questions. So, first one is from Michael, and this is a question I get fairly often. How can I compete with much bigger sites out there? And the second question is, can I put affiliate links in an informational post and how does that impact things? And that question is from Phil. So thanks to those guys for sending in the question. And if you would like to you know, have your question featured and get a little first name shout out like these gentlemen, you can just shoot me an email at feedback at doug.show. Or if you are bold and you have a beautiful speaking voice, or actually it doesn't matter what your speaking voice is like, but if you want to leave a voicemail, that is cool too. I think it can add a little bit, uh, you know, extra flavor to your question. If you could, you know, just leave the voicemail. So the number is in the show notes and description. So you could check that out. Or if you just want to send it in, that is cool too. So pretty much uh, if you have a reasonable question and I haven't answered it already, like in the last couple episodes, I will probably put it on. So feel free to shoot me an email. I may not reply back directly. Um, because I get a lot of emails otherwise, but I do see them. I actually look at those feedback emails uh, very closely because the fact is I don't get a ton of them. So if you have a question, shoot me an email. All right, before we get into the answers here, um, I was just gonna mention uh, I'm fasting again. So I've been doing like intermittent fasting uh, maybe like two to four times per week, um, depending on what I have going on. And at first I was just, you know, I would eat dinner um, the day before and then I, I would like push out my breakfast until like 10 a.m. And then slowly I would like skip breakfast altogether and just have uh, like lunch. And then as I got a little more comfortable with being hungry and figuring out how to deal with it and realizing that I'm not going to die. You know, I, I love to eat and I uh, will overeat and I love sweets and I, I will eat anything. You know, if there's like a box of donuts, I will finish the box of donuts, right? So it's interesting. I also have like the obsessiveness um, in the opposite direction so that I can be disciplined and literally not eat. But as I got uh, more comfortable with being hungry and understanding that it's okay, um, I was able to push it out to like two to three in the afternoon. And then every now and then I will do like a 22 hour fast. So maybe I eat dinner the day before we eat fairly early. Um, so maybe about six or six 30, and then maybe I wouldn't have like my first calories, like significant calories, um, until much later in the afternoon, like four o'clock or so. And it's been very interesting because there are a few things that I discovered. One, I realized that through a lot of my uh, 20s and I guess uh, most of my 30s, I would like have a fairly big lunch, especially when I had a corporate job and um, we'd go out for lunch and I'd have a, a big, you know, big sandwich or something like that, or maybe I have pasta, or maybe we go to like an Indian buffet, which I love. And then I would just fill up on rice and naan and just really stuff myself. And then I'd be like in a coma for like the afternoon. So I realized a lot of it was food-based and 
I just wasn't eating the right things and I was overeating at the wrong times. But my brain is very sharp um, on this intermittent fasting. And I could tell very easily if I am like breaking my fast with food that isn't working out very well for me. Um, again, uh, while I love bread and pasta and all that stuff, it does sort of bog me down, I guess, with the uh, insulin response and all the kind of business going on. I'm no scientist, but that's kind of my understanding there. So um, yeah, the intermittent fasting has been great. And I encourage you, if you haven't tried it, to give it a shot. Try to skip breakfast. Now I have coffee. I'm a, I'm probably, um, I'm probably compensating, um, the like lack of food with coffee instead. And, you know, when I'm, when I first started this fasting, I would actually put like half and half into my coffee. And occasionally I would, you know, put in some coconut oil, some M MCT oil as well. And a little bit of cheating, right? Cause that, that's significant, uh, calories right there. Um, but as I got better, right, for the first couple of weeks, I maybe would put some butter and MCT oil in my coffee. And then I tapered off to where I was just having black coffee and a crazy amount of water each day with a little bit of salt in there, by the way, a little, little less sea salt in there. And um, I just feel great. I feel really good. And you could tell, um, full disclosure, I had some coffee earlier. So um, <laughs> I'm highly caffeinated. All right, let's get to the questions and you know, folks give the intermittent fasting a, a little bit of a, a try and like anything, you got to gradually get into it. All right. Questions. So number one, how can you compete with a big site out there? And let me give you a little background on this question. So I, I coached, um, I coach a few people every now and then, and this person wanted to launch a site and they, you know, had some had some questions about, you know, just generally approaching content and link building and just the mindset, just general stuff. So I, I gave him whatever information he needed. And then from there, um, I, I pulled a couple reports for him for competitors, just so he had an idea for keywords that he potentially could target um, that maybe his competitors weren't really going for. So I, I you know, selected a few, he selected a few, I got him all this data. And when he got the data back, I, you know, he was like, holy shit, there's a lot of keywords um, out there. And these sites are huge, hundreds of pages, pretty good quality. They seem to be getting a crazy amount of traffic, you know, over a hundred thousand visitors per month. And they have been around for a couple of years. Like, how can I possibly compete with them they just have so much like I I'm writing all the content myself and I just, I don't know if this is even worth it. So the answer is you just start small. So it's a, it's almost a dumb, like cliche kind of answer, but you know, there's so many uh, different, I guess, cliches to go along with it where, you know, a journey of a hundred miles starts with one step. Um, or if you're going to eat an elephant, talking about food, <laughs> like if you're going to eat an elephant, you have to do it one bite at a time. And when you're starting a website, every site starts with nothing. They start with zero. There's no content. It started with an idea and people slowly grew it over time. And the interesting thing, I've only been doing uh, involved in internet marketing for, uh, I guess, about six years, which 
now seems like a really, a really long time. But, um, when I was starting, there were sites out there that looked to be huge and they slowly dwindled because people moved on to other things. And there's a life cycle to a website. Uh, sometimes a huge site will kind of go away because someone lost interest or maybe there's some more external factors to it. Um, or it can keep growing, um, maybe at a slower rate, but at some point that site started at zero. And what I recommend is just knock it out one by one at the speed that you can do it. So in a recent episode, I talked about just making sure that you're not comparing yourself too much to other people out there, especially, I mean, I'm guilty of this, right? They make for good headlines. So I interview exception story, um, or or I, I interview people that are exceptions for success stories because those are interesting and inspiring. All right. So that part of the reason is that, but I also talk to people who are um, maybe just getting started or maybe they've hit their first $50 a month or first hundred dollars a month. And then, you know, there's the extreme examples where someone's making, you know, $25,000 a month or whatever. But it's important to know that everyone started at zero. Everyone started with uh, like a small amount of skills, not much content, and you can get there too. All you have to do is get started and knock it out like little, a little bit at a time. Um, one thing that I want to caution people on, and um, I think I, I I didn't experience this personally because I I'll come back to it in a second. But the the point I'm trying to make is. Um, don't research too much. Um, some people want to do as much research as they possibly can and they get stuck in this research loop and they don't take action and they end up with a huge amount of knowledge that actually paralyzes them, right? It paralyzes them um, from taking any action and they just simply know too much. And it's very interesting to get in a conversation with someone like that because, Often these are people that I coach, so they're super knowledgeable, but they haven't launched their site yet. Maybe they've been researching it for two or three years. They've been trying to figure out like the perfect um, product, the perfect niche. They have many ideas and they just keep consuming more information from many different sources, some of which may be contradictory. So for example, like, if I coach someone like this, what might happen is I will make a suggestion. Usually my suggestions are fairly conservative and generally are going to work because you don't have to, you know, you don't have to get everything a hundred percent right and hit a home run. You just kind of got to get most of it good enough and then you'll be fine. Um, so I may make a suggestion to get someone in that good enough range and taking action, but they may have, you know, four counterpoints and four answers on why maybe that's not the best approach. turns out it doesn't fucking matter if it's the best approach. It just needs to be like an approach that you execute. And uh, I was talking to, um, a guy named Kyle Roof, um, who's a, a brilliant SEO And, um, he, there's an episode, uh, with him coming up soon. So keep an eye out for that. But he, he was talking about like a webpage that is not created, can't get any traffic. It can't rank for anything. Like basically if you don't take action, like you lost, right? So 
All you have to do is take a little bit of action, get a little bit of momentum and have the mindset of continuous improvement. You will not get it right the first time. You just got to make sure you don't make a catastrophic mistake. And even honestly, if when you're talking about a website, like if you launch a site and you make a couple mistakes, that's okay. It really didn't cost you that much compared to say, opening a brick and mortar store or like a restaurant or something like that. Like that costs a lot of money, takes a ton of time. You can like launch a website in an afternoon. And um, like I said, as long as you have the mindset of constant improvement, you're going to be okay. So bottom line here is you just got to get started. You got to start moving forward. And as you get a little bit of momentum, as you get a little bit of traffic on your site, when you make that first sale, you will realize, hey, this works. And by the way, those inspirational stories, those exception cases that I mentioned before, those are the pieces of like evidence and proof that you need to move forward, right? Like regular folks are doing it, right? I'm, you know, you're listening to me (laughs) ramble on and uh, you realize I'm just a normal dude uh, with a dog who likes beer And I like to walk outside as much as I can, right? Like I'm just a normal guy who made okay grades and got an okay job. And I was trapped in my little cubicle um, and I eventually got laid off. Like pretty simple story, right? Like just normal dude. And I accidentally found my way into this little thing. And a quick, quick other note, like kind of an aside, but I believe relevant go check out my YouTube channel. All the videos I ever published are uh, still up there. Uh, Even the ones where I dabbled early on in like 2014. And I was thinking, oh, I really want to do more videos. I think this could be a great thing. And holy shit, I wish I would have stuck with it and just really committed. And um, what happened was uh, while I was super nervous in front of the camera and like very, very slowly started doing a little bit more. And an interesting thing happened at the end of, say, 2016. So oh, almost like two and a half years later, I started doing more videos and publishing more. And then at some point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to push through this uncomfortable portion, right? So I started at zero in the 2014 period and like basically published a couple videos. And then in 2016, I was like, I'm going to commit to actually publishing a lot of videos. I'm going to do live streams. I'm going to do webinars. I'm going to try to publish more and see how it goes. And slowly over time, I got better extremely slowly. I mean, there are so many videos out there on my channel that are a complete train wreck, but I slowly got better. And the very amazing thing is that um, at this point in time when I'm recording it, I have about 14,000 subscribers, which is, you know, it's a vanity metric in many ways. However, what that does for me is uh, it gives me like a little bit of a platform. And I know that if I publish a video, even a random like vlog where um, I'm just traveling around, going on vacation or something like that, a few hundred people are going to watch it, which is amazing that a few hundred people would want to watch me, um, you know, ramble on, on vacation. Now the real benefit, you know, that's interesting, right? That's a little, that's, 
It's vanity, all right? <laughs> so it's cool that people want to pay attention to me. Um, but the very cool thing is there's enough people that uh, pay attention that I can email influencers in various, uh, you know, uh, respects. Um, and you can look at the interviews that I've done on this podcast and you could, you can see like all of a sudden with a platform, you can approach other people and they will talk to you because I have just enough subscribers where someone's like, Oh, you know what? Like we should probably talk to this guy, which is super interesting. Cause I, again, I'm just some average dude who started with a channel of zero subscribers and very slowly, like no, no huge hockey stick growth on this. Just, I just grinded it out. I literally grinded it out. So the analogy is you could do the same thing for a website. You can do it on a podcast. If you are big into, you know, Instagram, you can do it there too. Everyone uh, starts at zero and it's just a matter of grinding it out and doing the work doing some networking and trying to improve, right? You can't blindly just you know, publish a bunch of content and not try to improve as you're going through the process. So I think I, I hammered that one down. So next question, a little bit, you know, faster hit here. So this one's from Phil. And by the way, thanks, Michael, for sending in your question. So Phil's question is about putting affiliate links and informational content. And Phil uh, noted that his informational content for his affiliate site seems to rank a little bit faster. He observes that there's a little bit less competition because you know people are greedy and they usually go after the buyer's keywords. They usually go after terms that are product focused. So he's finding that he could publish more informational content, get ranked faster, get traffic and all the good stuff a little bit quicker. So Phil wants to know, can I put affiliate links in there? The answer is sure. Yeah, you can put them in there. I put them in myself um, for a lot of my affiliate content also. Now, I think it's key to note a few things. So number one, you know the general like problem that a person has when they end up on an informational post. Most of the time, those are going to be how-to posts. Occasionally, it will just be like, um, you know, in, an informational essay, you know, more or less. So it, at that point, um, it may not be as effective if it's just an informational essay, but the how-to articles are perfect, all right? So let me break it down. Now, if you have a piece of content and it tells someone how to do something, they have a problem that they're trying to solve. They don't know how to do a thing, right? So if you know what they're trying to do, then you can probably give them um, some recommendations for products where they can either do it for cheaper or easier or faster. Those are like the three main things. So quick example um, for niche site project, Basically, if I tell someone how to do keyword research and keyword uh, like competition analysis, then I can tell them how to do it in uh, you know a general sense, how to do it with free tools. I can also save them time and maybe make them a little bit more effective if I recommend a tool like, say, KW Finder, which I'm an affiliate for and I get a commission if you buy through my link. And 
right? Did, did you see what I just did there? But like, I could tell you that if you use a tool to save time and you could afford it, right? I'm not putting pressure on someone like you have to get this tool or the world's going to end. I can give them an alternative way to do something, but if I could save them five hours of time and it, and it costs them, you know, 35 bucks a month, um, and they only need to buy the tool for, you know, whatever, two months or something like that's a lot of time, right? If I could save someone like five hours per week over the course of two months, that's a lot of time. That's a bargain, right? If someone can save time by paying for uh, a tool that saves them effort, most people, right? If they can afford it, slam dunk. They don't want to spend, you know, 40 hours messing with uh, competition analysis. They'd rather just have a tool like spit out the data for them, right? So the point is, if you can help someone by saving them time, saving them effort or saving them money. Like occasionally you have the opportunity to uh, like tell them, hey, you know, you could use this method, which is, um, you know, kind of expensive, or you can use this like kind of expensive and has hidden costs, or you could use this other tool over here that um, does it for you uh, much easier. And by the way, it's cheaper too. They will, they will probably opt for the cheaper option. Now, there are some, um, like queries out there that may not be super profitable, but let me give a quick example. Let's say it's a DIY. Um, I can't think of a great example. Let's say it's a DIY. That's a do it yourself, uh, like a podcast booth, right? So I'm not very original. I just know that I'm standing in my closet with like all my clothes around me because the audio is pretty good in here. So if you had, if you had an informational post on a DIY podcasting studio, that's super interesting, right? Like DIY sometimes indicates um, that a person doesn't want to buy anything and they are trying to do it for free. However, if someone is trying to put together a small podcasting studio with acoustic treatments and stuff like that, instead of having all these flannel shirts towering over him, then it could be something where they would invest in certain pieces of uh, equipment. And in that case, you know, maybe there are a couple substitutes. Um, like I can go to the hardware store and buy, you know, some sort of uh, like PVC situation and build like a little booth or something, or maybe I don't want to go through all that trouble and basically can buy a off the shelf thing from Amazon. That's pretty close. And maybe I got to do a couple DIY things myself, but that's a perfect example where maybe I can save a little bit of money by buying parts locally and repurposing things like PVC and shower curtains. I think I'm coming up with an idea for a little booth for myself, but the point is, if you can save someone time and effort and like get the right, give them, recommend the right tool for the job for them, it's perfectly fine. And Phil also asks like, hey, is it going to be bad for SEO if I put affiliate links in my informational content? Generally, the answer is no. If you put a you know reasonable number of affiliate links in your post, it's probably going to be fine. I haven't found any specific issues, though I never tried to test it explicitly, but I'm pretty light-handed with affiliate links in a general sense. So for an informational post, maybe I would just put two or three 
affiliate links per thousand words. So where it's relevant, you know, where it can be helpful for a person. And again, if you know the problem that a person is trying to solve, you can make some pretty good recommendations. And sometimes an informational post, like on the surface seems informational, but maybe it is pretty uh, related to products. And I could see, you know, again, thinking about the DIY podcasting studio or DIY booth or whatever, like people are buying stuff if they're trying to launch a podcast. It's not like a free thing that you're doing. Like you're buying hosting, you're probably gonna have a website, you at least need a little bit of equipment. And as someone is getting into podcasting, for example, they realize that their audio isn't that good and they wanna upgrade their microphone and their equipment so it sounds a little bit better. Um, so the point is you can put affiliate links. I would be, as some guidelines, I was I would be fairly light-handed um, and not put too many affiliate links. As long as you don't put too many, you should be okay from an SEO standpoint. Further, it's uh, kind of your duty as a content creator, as someone who is putting out helpful information on a topic, on a how-to topic, if you know a way that you can save someone time, money, or effort, or speed it up, or whatever, then it's kind of your job to let them know about it. Even if you're recommending some affiliate products, of course, from an FTC, FTC, Federal Trade Commission standpoint, you do need to disclose those links. Just like earlier when I mentioned KW Finder, I mentioned it right there that I am an affiliate, right? So you got to make sure that you're making that clear from an FTC standpoint. But other than that, you should be good to go. So thanks again, Phil and Michael, for sending in your questions. And for other folks, um, if you are not on the Niche Site Project email list, highly recommend you check it out. Just go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email, and I will send you a bunch of templates. And over the course of uh, several weeks, I send you uh, like emails, autoresponder emails that point you towards interesting content. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.